the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rise Up Secret Podcast. I'm your host, Jess Root from CardsWire.com, the USA Today and the NFL Wire site covering the Arizona Cardinals. And back after after a little bit of a break, it's a regular show. With me is Revenge of the Birds, Seth Cox, um, SB Nation's Arizona Cardinals site, SB Nation's Revenge of the Birds, also one of the hosts of the original, breakdown, uh, original draft breakdown podcast, Seth. How's it been getting the time off, getting out of town for a little bit, and then getting the kiddos back in school? Ah, uh, you know, it's been busy. Uh, I wish it was not, but, you know, <laughs> five kids that all do athletics and things like that, it's been even busier. So it's, you know, it's been Tuesday nights were nice, but uh, at the same time we still had practices. So it just, and I came home and, Ate dinner at eight o'clock instead of coming home eating dinner at eight o'clock, then jumping on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were back in podcast season, and the, everything just got busy for us for the next several months because the Arizona Cardinals reported for training camp on Tuesday. This is episode four hundred forty-seven. This is our training camp preview. So, if you if you haven't over the last two weeks, I had fourteen opponent preview shows in 14 days those are all available um and you know hopefully you've subscribed so they're already on your device but starting with the nfc west teams then the the last place teams on their schedule then the afc north teams and then the nfc east teams i i talked to 14 um usa uh usa day nfl wire managing editors and or writers and talked about the Cardinals, kind of previewed those Cardinals opponents for the coming season. So catch those shows. They were, you know, if you were, if you were a little bit bored, they've got so much content. But Seth is back. Uh, it's time to talk training camp. Um, well, and just for those, if you do miss them on Jess's site somehow, someway, I'm about three days behind, so they end up on my site as well. So you'll definitely have opportunities to see them if for some reason you missed them on uh on Jess's site and if you haven't subscribed to the show yet somewhere on spotify apple podcast come on what are you doing we we are literally at the 10-year mark of this show (laughs) then and i believe exactly yeah i think i can't remember the date but it was like some it was like this week in 2013 when i did the premiere show i think i did a so i can't i think i did a solo show and then i did a uh like I ranked the quarterbacks back in the day, and then I had a little interview with Larry Fitzgerald through one of his um, endorsements, and then we kind of started everything. So yeah, but it, it, talking, pro, you know, training camp. They reported they did their media day. I'm pretty sure they did their their physicals, although that might be tomorrow because they didn't make any um, pop moves or or anything like that. Uh, they did a couple of minor roster moves. Uh, but but there were some roster moves they made. We'll talk about those, and then we'll basically preview kind of our expectations for training camp. What we're what we're most looking forward to, not talking about position battles, who where we think the most interesting position and in roster battles are, and try to pick out a few players who might surprise 
over the course of, of training camp and, and the preseason. So let's go ahead and get started. The Cardinals announced five player additions and two deductions from the roster. They, they went into this week with three roster vacancies. They had 88 players on the roster. They have they have a 91-man off-season roster because of the roster exemption for international tight end Bernhard Sykovitz. And so they added that. So they made some moves. Let's run down those moves really quickly, and then we'll, we'll what where's the impact of that? Um, they signed a new long snapper, Jack Coco, who is the Green Bay Packers long snapper a season ago as a rookie. And making to make room for him, they put undrafted rookie uh, out of Oklahoma State, Matt Hembro, on injured reserve. So he's done. Um, they signed center Pat Elfline, former Minnesota Vikings. They signed veteran Je- uh, veteran tight end Jeff Swain and then released uh, Chris Pierce, who was an undrafted rookie a year ago. And then they added a pair of receivers. Uh, Davion Davis, who played for the... He, he was on the Texans practice squad last year, but it was coming off of a season where he played for the USFL Birmingham Stallions, the two-time defending USFL champs, and also added Caden Davis, who was on Denver's practice squad last year. Of those additions, for you, Seth, uh, which is or which are the most significant moves? I think it's got to be kind of the quote-unquote obvious ones of Pat Elfline and Jeff Swain, right? It probably signifies that with Elfline, they weren't exactly happy with or comfortable. I guess comfortable is probably the better word. With um, Froholt at center, you know, because I think their kind of depth chart was what? Froholt. <laughs> Froholt and then literally. Froholt, four NFL starts at center. And those were the only four. Well, and those are and the only four NFL games for any player on the roster at center. Uh, they don't really have a depth chart. So I, did, I didn't see, and I couldn't, even if I saw it, I couldn't really talk about what the depth chart looked like. But we know who's in the mix at center. The center, the guys who's playing. So there's Froholt. There's Lasita Smith, who, who learned center last year. Uh, they drafted John Gaines. He got a few. I know he got some reps at center uh, early in the offseason. You still, yeah. And, and, and then Hayden Howerton, a guy that was with, I think, the Titans and the Patriots. He played center in college, but, you know. Yeah, so it just feels like, obviously, Pat, you know, comes in. He maybe, maybe if Froholt or Smith or Gaines, you know, one of those guys doesn't take hold of the situation, it's it's easy to pivot to Elfline, who started um, games last year, right? So it's it's a pretty simple thing. And then Swain's just a, I mean, he's a, he's a solid if unspectacular tight end. I mean, there's not really much more you can say about it in terms of that. He's just a, he's a very good um, pro. I mean, I guess that's probably the best way to put it. He's a guy that has been very successful in the NFL um, and has played for a long time, but he's never been a, standout right and so you know swaim or sorry going back to elfline real quick he played six games at guard last year but before that he played nine games at center for um 
Carolina, and then he's kind of bounced around since he he left the the Minnesota Vikings. You know, Swaim is a guy that it makes sense. I mean, you're talking about a guy that will come in. Uh, GM Monty Austin Fort knows what he gets out of him. I don't think there's been any crossover with uh, with Petzing or or those guys, uh, but you know he's been with Tennessee the last three seasons. Um, you know, it's is basically a guy that plays about fifty percent of the snaps every every season in Tennessee, um, and it probably signifies that even though when do they have to designate pup? Uh, I think tomorrow yeah but, or so, tomorrow is when they will make the moves because practice begins on thursday so right, the, so the, the, i i don't so know if they, did their, I don't know if they did their conditioning test today i know the media will get to see a closed practice tomorrow so maybe they did their conditioning test today already or they'll do the conditioning test and have a practice i don't know what that's going to do but i know before they actually start practice that has to happen because that's how because yeah PUP has to happen then because if you're not on it, then you can't ever be put on it. Yeah. And so you look at it, you know, and, and it'll be out before this releases. Uh, likely, we shouldn't say definitely, but likely. Um, that we'll know that probably Zach Ertz is either on the PUP or not ready to go. However, you know, it'll be a couple weeks into the season so bringing in a jeff swaim right a guy that's a veteran tight end because that was something we talked about what a couple weeks ago right we were like well they got trey mcbride and then it's a lot of guys that you don't want to have to i when i was doing my roster previews i've been going through player by player and i was like what are their chances of making the roster you've got Ertz, you've got mcbride they're making the roster after that literally everyone is young and improving there's no atojiai who's got a handful of games and he knows Jonathan Gannon, but the rest of it is like they, they got a couple of, of priority free agent signees um, in the undrafted group. Uh, they Like Blake Whitehart out of Wake Forest, they, they guaranteed $200,000 of a salary, so it kind of feels like he's going to be in the mix. But adding Swim in there, it, it then takes all of those young guys, and it feels like they're probably now battling for perhaps a spot on the roster slash practice squad places. Um, although I, I, I imagine Ertz will be ready, but it gives you three legitimate guys. Swain doesn't catch the ball a lot, but if you're, if you're talking about the type of offense that they you know that they want to run, he was doing a power run blocking type things while he was with Tennessee. And so that's kind of what you want to see. Elf line's interesting because what are the two positions on the offensive line that are really feel uncertain? Center and left guard, and those are the positions that Elf line has played. Now, I don't know if you want to come in and say that we're going to count on Elf line to do anything. The dude's played in 22 games over the last three seasons combined. Um, he's never made it through an entire season playing every game. He was at 14, 14, 15. Now, I mean, that's good enough for offensive line, but then 7, 9, and 6. Um, uh, you know, he was a guy that it, early in the offseason I kind of pegged as a potential guy because he does have ties with Petsing because he was there in Minnesota when Petsing was there from 2017 to and, and beyond. Um, so, and he, that's when he played center mostly then, um, was with Minnesota. But, 
I mean, it, I think what it does is just a stat, it creates a little more competition because we always felt, honestly, did we really think when they were trying to you know, create a steady veteran offensive line or talented offensive line kind of upgrade that they were going to leave that pivot position to a guy that's played four NFL games at the position. I never, I never thought that unless that, that unless they were gam- that's one of those gambles like, Hey, scouting, we think he's going to be good, but it just felt like, you know, Froholtz is what he is. Like he's a guy that you, you, if they added him for depth, sweet. You're like, he's going to be the starter. I'm a little worried about that. So offline's a guy who, you know can do it, but you don't know how long he's going to be able to because that list of centers that was available, old and broken. Uh, he's 29 years old, so but he falls into the broken category. They're basically, the centers that were left on them were old and broken. Rodney Hudson, who's retired, um, pa- Ben Jones, guys like that. Uh, we kind of thought that that would be the direction, but Elfline makes sense. It'll be interesting. I, I feel like that'll be a competition between him and Froholtz or um, or something like that. Or Because I don't think Elfline is necessarily going to be in the mix on left guard because I, they've got two guy, two veteran guys I think that they trust for the left guard position, Elijah Wilkinson and Dennis Daly. Swain makes sense. Um, I have my eye, just kind of my eye, just a little bit, little bit, and that's on the, the long snapper, Jack Coco, because... He has played a full NFL season, uh, snapped every game for the Packers last season. They had an undrafted guy and then re-signed Aaron Brewer late in the offseason. Supposedly he was healthy. So uh, by adding Coco, I'm wondering it, if it's which one of these it is. If it is primarily competition, where they brought back Brewer because they know what he is, but they're tr- maybe trying to move on. Or two, because Brew was injured, if it is the intention is to slow roll him back, is to you know recondition him, have a have a plan for him to slowly get those reps up. I'm not sure which one of those it is. Although at Brewer's age and the fact that he's had a couple of injuries, it, it wouldn't be bad to have a guy in the building that you can trust. Uh, and since Coco played a full season in the NFL, I feel much more comfortable with a guy like him. Yeah, and that makes sense. And, you know, my only speculation is that they just want somebody um, in just in case something goes wrong, right? Or like, just to limit his snaps. Cause, that's, that's what I mean yeah. for Brewer. Yeah, like either he's not fully healthy or in case they are worried about a recurrence or things like that, you know, they have somebody already on. Because that is one of the things we've talked about before, right? <clears throat> Long snappers get snapped up no pun intended and then like literally aren't available for like eight to ten years <laughs> right totally the two receivers i would consider those are mostly kind of you know fl- they're just trying they're just churning the roster type thing they add a couple of receivers to the room uh they don't have a lot of com- they don't have a, really, a lot of spots available for the ro- for the receiver room you know marquise is going to hollywood's going to be there you know rondell moore is going to be there you know zach pascal is going to be there uh, Michael Wilson's going to be there. You presume Greg Dortch is going to be there. I don't think it's a lock this year um, because it's a new coaching staff. But if they're going to keep six receivers, you have four, maybe five that are locks. And then after that, it's a battle of who who's going to compete for that. And I think both guys, uh, the kid out of Birmingham, for the USFL, Davian Davis, and then Caden Davis, I think, both Davises, 
are the Davises. <laughs> I think the both Davises are simply uh, they're camp bodies what, trying to prove themselves. So they are they're guys to okay, hey, let's see what they have. Right, and that's kind of what we're looking at now and, and seeing what they can uh what they can figure out with all of this and and that's the key with with these things is obviously there's so much unknown moving in so we just kind of have to um be patient and and see how this plays out but these feel and and i you know we hate saying this it's not like we want this to be true or anything like that uh but it just feels like they're camp bodies yeah yeah coming up next on the rise of your podcast mr cardinal's talk on the web let's move on and talk about what we're looking forward to most in this training camp that's coming up next on rise of sea red we're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast. Best of Cardinals talk on the web. Seth Cox and I talking about the Arizona Cardinals training camp. It is the training camp preview. Uh, Want to talk about what are we looking for? Not the position battles. We're going to talk about that next. But what is it that we're looking for? What are we most looking forward to? Training camp is, is an interesting time. But for me, I'm going to say this. You know, while there are low expectations, I'm, you know, part fan but part just for my part of the job, what we do, I'm super intrigued about camp because this will be the first time we get to see how they're lining up, what types of you know what types of work are they doing, what types of plays are they running and practicing, how does the defense line up, um, and and that's not it's not going to necessarily predict things, but you can see personnel groups, some of the plays that they kind of draw up. Um, how the rotation looks so far uh, that that I geek out about that side of type of stuff I like paying attention to that because it, it kind of you know lends us to believe what the progression is on the roster moving forward so number one is I'm excited to see some of the actual football and how that's gonna look because we spent the last four seasons with with Cliff Kings where we got used to that and you know we've seen how rosters were put together before this is all new i'm excited for that yeah that's one of the big things that i'm looking forward to and and you know i break it down into a couple things obviously we're not talking about battles but i'm looking forward to you know um for me like the the football nerd i want to see the the deployment of of formations and, and things like that but I know that's going to be mo- mostly limited, especially in, in the open practices and things like that. Secondly, I'm really interested to see the rotations in general. You know, not even the the like head to heads, but like how are these how are these rotations going to look along the defensive line at the at the linebacker position, especially. Uh, and then, and then there's individual like players that I'm interested in. Obviously, I mean, we can go with the you know the easy ones like Isaiah Simmons, Saban Collins, right? What, yeah. All off season, they were working at different positions. So do they, what do they continue the to past. do that, or right, or was it like well, the, the coaches kind of suggested is they're creating versatility for Zayvon Collins? But I'm like, he's in a new defense. If he's not getting any reps at inside backer, you can't really think he's going to get reps at inside backer. But yeah. we'll see. <laughs> Simmons was 
like they say, yeah, he's a safety, and he said he's a safety, and, and the even the team on their on their graphics when he interviewed has him as a safety. They just haven't changed him uh, on the team site roster. But yeah, I want to see. I do want to see the those guys and how they look, honestly. And and I'll tell you this too. I'm really excited. There's a couple guys I'm really excited about. First one's Owen Papoa. Um, I think you know, obviously the the uh, another easy one's Paris Johnson, but uh, Papoa he just screams a Jonathan Gannon linebacker. Does he not like that? Just athletic, semi undersized kind of freaky talent, um, you know, kind of similar to Kaiser white, but, and again, you know, only he played linebacker because Kaiser white was right. an EB, but it also, it, it also won't mean that he'll be like Ky- or be as good right. as Kaiser white, but man, Popo is one of the freakiest athletes we've ever seen at the linebacker position. I mean, he's just a freak. Um, well, and, and, and you know what? Which is kind of interesting because who was who was that linebacker last year? But he came out of Auburn too. He was the, he was the exact opposite. He looked really good, but was unathletic. Well, yeah, relatively yeah, unathletic. About. But he was an Auburn linebacker. So you get get Papo, who's coming out out of Auburn, but freaky athletic, and you if he can come out with some of the same technique and skills, you're like, there's some real potential there. Who was that guy last year? I can't remember his name. Chandler Wooten. Yes, Chandler Wooten, everyone, everyone, like certain guys on your site, like, he's, he's got a lock for us. No, there's no, no, he's not going to make this. Yeah. He's not going to make this. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'm excited to see some of these guys because I think they're going to be fun players. And I'm excited to see, like you said, how they're deployed, how they're used. I'm, I'm excited to see how, I mean, I don't know what we're going to call them, but I, we can try to, you know, coin a phrase, but like, how are the munchkins? Like, how do the munchkins look like between Marquise Brown, Rondell Moore, Greg Dortch? Like, how do they look in this offense? Um, and are they able to stay on the field or is it going to force guys like Zach Pascal and, and Michael Wilson to get reps, right? Yeah. Like all of these things to me are really intriguing um, because it's not necessarily position battles, but I want to see how they're like how they're playing and, and how they're used and things like that. Because I mean, I know you and I have talked about it already, but like these position battles, like I don't feel like you and I have a strong opinion on who we want to win the position battles. <laughs> we're just we're just kind of like, let's see how this works out. But it's gonna be interesting to see, you know even who's playing in them. Yeah, totally. And, of course, what what might be the biggest intrigue is at what point does Kyler start practicing? If, in fact, he has a week one goal. I don't think that's going to be realistic, but does he start off training camp on PUP? Does he, like, and if he isn't, that sig- that could signal, perhaps, that he's going to get some work in training camp. And they'll still roll him, but... How much work does Kyler get? Um, how much work does Zach Ertz get? And and on the on the smaller side is, who are the guys that are injured that we didn't know about? Who are who are coming to camp and are nursing injuries that no one knew about? Yeah, that's always a question, isn't it? Like who comes in and you're like, oh, this guy's not ready, or this guy's hurting. Let's let's be honest. <clears throat> There are certain guys, while while you've kind of hit the nail on the head about like it's 
it's a new system. Everybody needs to be active and out there. There are certain guys we just don't worry too much about, right? James Conner, Buda Baker, um, you know, DJ Humphrey, even though his health is always, you know, kind of a question. He's been around enough, um, you know. So, but then, but then there's everybody else. And it's like a guy like, for instance, Will Hernandez, right? Who's coming off of a injury kind of plague season and is fighting for now a, a, a long-term contract. You know, he's back on a short-term contract. Is he able to make it through a full season and, and, and you know, stay healthy? Obviously, Brown and Moore are question marks all the time, right? Like those guys, I mean, we talked about it with Brown last year when they traded for him, and then obviously Moore has been this way since college. Like are they able to stay on the field and, and compete consistently? The defensive side, I mean, knock on wood right now, there's not as many guys that have – I mean, obviously Antonio Hamilton had the freak accident yeah. last year, which which was devastating. But, um, you know, there's not there's not as many guys. But, you know, between – between Brown and Moore, like I said, Humphreys is a wild card. I mean, you you like to see him healthy because he, he's, you know, he's an important piece, but he's also a veteran. So, like, it's not like he needs all the time in the world, but also if he's healthy, it's an improvement over the fact that, like you said, he's not always healthy. So it's just, it's just an interesting uh, dynamic because – I feel like offensively there's a lot more questions about that than defensively. Coming up next on the Rise Up Red Podcast, Spencer Cardinals talk on the web. Let's move on and talk about now specifically the position battles that mostly intrigue us. That's coming up next on Rise Up Red. We're back on the Rise Up Red Podcast, Spencer Cardinals talk on the web. The other part, next part that will clearly be uh, of intrigue is, and especially when you get to the pro, when the preseason games, the position battles. Who's getting more reps again ahead of whom? Who's looking better against guys? That that is always tough because they mix and match who they're doing reps against. And you know, Cardinals on Cardinals stuff is it. You know, remember for example, Brandon Williams, that third that third round pick who was fairly new to the position quarterback. Just how great he looked in training camp against Michael Floyd, and then immediately looked like hot garbage in coverage on the field. <laughs> Hey, was it was it any uh, coincidence that Floyd didn't play well after that either? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, know, you might have something there, but I mean, especially like you, you get used to your teammates and how they do things and the play calls and things like that, so you can start anticipating type things. But uh, that said, th- I think. And I wrote about this, like the most notable p- position battle, and I think it's we're going to be staring at right tackle because you bring back Kelvin Beecham, who's who started a gazillion games in his career, was the Cardinals' starting right tackle for the last three seasons, and then re-sign him to a two-year deal. His money is completely guaranteed this year, and then you go and draft Paris Johnson, and he should be the now in the future. But I don't think Kel- I don't think Beecham's going to go down quietly. He's not going to make it easy for it, so I'm going to be really interested to see how that works out, and and if at all, 
where else does Beecham get work? Um, because I, I think there's a potential as well, especially if Josh Jones, that, that, that group of Paris Johnson, uh, Kelvin Beecham, and Josh Jones, super intriguing to me because I don't think that all three that there's room for all three on the roster, personally. Like when you're building the offensive line, I just don't think you have enough spots to have your left tackle have a right tackle and have two true other tackles to do that. Um, and so will, will Beecham end up getting traded? Because he's the type of guy, you know, a uh, veteran who could help a, a playoff-type team or a young team who's kind of building and, and or is trying to take the next step and they have an injury while Jones probably has the higher you know value Va- yeah value because he's young but is that the type of guy you want to just trade away when potentially you could bring him back and he's one of your starting tackles depending on what they decide to do with DJ Humphreys because you could move on from his contract this next year Yeah, and it's tough because you've got, you know, this is what happens when new regimes come in, right? Like, this is one of the things is guys that were potentially intriguing um, young guys now don't necessarily have a place on the roster. And, you know, you can you can question it or disagree with it all you want but the reality is there's a legitimate chance that this team looks at Elijah Wilkinson and or Dennis Daly as a more valuable asset than Josh Jones um that's not to say it's right or wrong it just might be for Monty, for for Petzing, for for Gannon, for those guys, they might view those guys as more valuable assets. Um, well, because both both are true, like guard tackle swing guys. Because Elijah Wilkinson can play guard, he can play tackle. Dennis Daly didn't play well at tackle, but he started an entire season at left tackle and can play guard. And so, in terms of versatility, Josh Jones can play tackle at guard. But I bet that both the other guys, Wilkinson and Daly, are better guards than Jones. Yeah, and so that's, you know, that's just what it comes down to. And it's just it's just situations like that that I think are hard for fans to grasp. Wouldn't you agree? Because, yeah, I mean, and, and nobody was a bigger Jones fan than me. But you you never fully... And he earned a lot of, you know, bonuses for playing time, snaps played, things like that. But he never fully grabs a position as a starter. And then obviously they go out and draft a guy in Paris Johnson who's going to likely play over him immediately. You know, Beecham's a guy. I don't know if I expect Beecham to be on a move because I wonder if he's a guy that they want. Well, because you know, Um, you know, he can play both tackle either tackle and yeah. and he he can he could st- slide in a guard i think he's done that in his career yeah. but he's he like he could legitimately he's, he started most of his career at left tackle and now he started the last three at right tackle so you know he's a he he's definitely reliable for sure 
Um, but yeah, that, that's that's just super intriguing because like it, the way they're building the roster, you would think that maybe you would rather have Jones on the roster than Beecham if if Paris Johnson is a starter, but maybe he's the guy that you want to have. And he signed for two years, and his contract basically is, hey, he's going to play this year, um, and then we can figure things out next year. But yeah, that that's the number one position. But now, but honestly, there's two other like there there's the the there's the highlight that's there's the premier battle at right tackle, but you have a low key battle at left guard because we don't know who's there other than what I've been told that it looks like probably Elijah Wilkinson slash Dennis Ailey. And now we have the center one with Elfline and Froholt. So three spots on the offensive line appear to have legitimate uh, position battles. Yeah, and it's not surprising. I mean, you're, again, a new regime. They're going to bring in the guys that they want. Um, And obviously Justin Pugh left. Uh, Rodney Hudson left or retired, uh, you know, and so those are the those are the things that you look at and kind of try to figure out. I'm also intrigued, you know, we talked about it. Obviously, Ertz's health matters, but if it's if Ertz is unavailable, are the top two tight ends just going to be Trey McBride or Jeff Andreas Swaim, or do one of these younger guys? potentially have a chance you know with Swain maybe brought in for the same thing we discussed about with Elfline earlier of like hey a veteran we know what we're going to get out of this guy um can can one of these guys beat him out type of thing yeah I guess that's I guess that's totally true because yeah because like it, it shows now, some of the guys, like they released Chris Pierce, no big deal. He was an undrafted guy a year ago. Um, I don't know where Zykovitz is in his development. It really feels like that's just a continuous thing that they use to have an extra guy on the roster. Well, and, and, and it's, kind of, it's kind of like a commitment that they do when they, when they got that added. Like, why wouldn't you? It's an international player. You have the exemption. Why wouldn't you keep him on? But it does make it a little bit different because it's a complete new coaching staff, but they brought in like Tojiai kind of made sense as as kind of one of those guys that's a glue guy on the roster can play some special teams but has only a handful of games in his career but then when they go out and the kid Blake Whitehart $200,000 of guaranteed salary in 2023 um that sort of suggests they that he's going to be here you know the, you know, if you remember, like if we go back to Chris Strebler, they guaranteed that much, and you know they, they made sure that he was on the roster. Um, and that you could you could do the practice squad, uh, and that's a little bit more. I think what like the two hundred thousand, a little bit more than what uh, a practice squatter makes all season. But like when you when you pay a guy that much, it's kind of like drafting him. And then the 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 Michigan tight end Joe Honeyford, who was a former offensive lineman, you know the guy. He, as a guy, as a blocking tight end, that's that's a specific little niche that you can have on your roster. So yeah, I guess unless I don't know if Swain was coming off of a an injury at all. 
I, I see he played every game last season. I was going to say he played it, but that's the thing is these guys are always banged up, especially this far into their career. I mean, the reality is that they're not healthy ever at this point. So, you know, I am going through his injury list stuff. He's a lot of it's just been um, concussion related. He had an ankle back in 2020. So nothing since then. He's had a ton of concussions. <laughs> Holy cow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so yeah, so, I mean, maybe, you know, we know McBride and Ertz are going to be there. And it's just a matter of when with Ertz. I yeah. mean, that's just, that's and, just and, a you question. Know, because of like week one seems reasonable because it's 10 months out. And so uh, it's just, I, I'm, I like to see that, but I, you'd think that, the Swain move, if it were earlier in the offseason, would feel like he's a lock for the roster. It is right now. I'm probably going to do a, a kind of a pre-training camp now that they made some roster moves, a, a, a roster you know prediction. Maybe I'll wait till the weekend to do that. And Swain will probably be on there. Swain will probably be on there. I would I would imagine. But that and even that that's kind of a the low key one. Uh, the next, you know, I, I I don't know if it's like a it's not a high key like a notable. Uh, roster position battle but what in the world is the defensive line rotation going to look like you you can kind of like there's two guys where you think would be the the lead two it would be lg collier and carlos watkins watkins who's a fine nfl player and collier who has the you know the the talent former first round pick now kind of being pushed more in on the interior than that he's played before you'd figure those two but how is that defensive line rotation going to look? Because let's be honest, that rotation is is light on proven talent. Yeah, and it's tough. I mean, you talked about it. It's it's it feels like Collier Watkins, and then we like Lawrence and Fotu, but they're going to have some questions to answer. Kevin Strong seems like a lock to make the roster, but he's kind of a been a at what 20 25 snap guy his whole career like i think if he's playing more than that you're probably in a in a pickle uh you know just kind of probably not ideal um you know from there you look at it they brought in obviously dante stills he's an intriguing guy but he's still a, a late day three yeah, type you never you never bank on them although his skill set his skill set is super interesting it's a lot of fun yeah it's a lot of fun and so you know so you just look at it and you go yikes (laughs) i I don't i don't know how else to put it like it's not ideal um after after collier and walk-ins i just don't know what to expect i think the goal i think the goal starting lineup if I had to predict, would be Collier, Watkins, and Lawrence. But you want to talk about a guy that's always hurt? Jeez, I mean, yeah, that's that's that's, that's just for sure, Lawrence, Lawrence, Lawrence for sure. Oh. So, so we'll see how it works out. I think that's their goal. Um, but you know, those are those are always iffy. The second inside backer spot for me is intriguing because. 
so intriguing. Because, I mean, like, especially from the time Jonathan Gannon was hired and that they brought in Kaiser White, we're like, okay, they're set at linebacker. They're going to be a 4-3 defense. It's going to be Collins. It's going to be Simmons. It's going to be White. Yeah. And now it's basically for 3-4-ish. And the only thing we know is White because Collins is the edge. Simmons is a safety. Like, who's that other guy going to be? Like, right now, I'd, I would lean Chris Barnes, but Josh Woods could be that guy. It could be, and, and since they're going young, it could be Papa or even Kyle Soley, the undrafted kid out of Arizona State. He's a smart yeah, enough th- kid to, there, to, this to do is that. Le- this is legitimately one of those situations where you just look at it and you go, all right, let's see how this unfolds because there's definitely a position battle. I mean, if if the linebackers go um if the linebackers just go Collins and White inside with with Thomas and Sanders outside, it's pretty chalky, wouldn't you say? Like that that's kind of what we're expecting. Um but the question becomes is that what Jonathan Gannon and and um, Nick Rollis are thinking, or is that? <laughs> and, and I think is... what kind of the, the the linebacker, like the edge rotation. I think you're going to see like and Cam Thomas, big. He's 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 going to be counted on this year, and I think Collins will be because they like that. So like you look at the edge guys that they had in Philly, they they both kind of fit that size, and then Ojulari slash. Sanders, uh, my J. Sanders will be the rotational guys, however they however they are you know uh, deployed. Yeah, and that's what's going to be interesting because I think it's the same, you know, when you look at whether it's it's that inside backer position or the or the two outside linebackers positions. Like, I think those are kind of open open battles um you know your point being completely completely accurate but again sanders thomas and for that matter collins are all guys that they're not they're not ganeth gannon they're not rallis guys you know like and not to say that necessarily barnes or woods are but they may favor what they bring and what they see and what they know more um, than what than what these other guys do. So it'll be interesting just to kind of see how it all unfolds because the the defense, I mean, the offense is is interesting, but it's like you said, it's a lot of like the the, the linemen, and we we think we think we know what we're going to see in a lot of instances. Um, but the defense is, I don't want to say a complete unknown, but it feels nearly like a complete unknown <laughs> yeah, because his cornerback cornerbacks is like, they didn't do hardly anything in cornerback. What's that going to look like? Is it, is it going to be the, is it going to be the Vance Joseph group of Marco Wilson and Antonio Hamilton? Is that really going to be that or well, is, is someone else going to like, Keetra Clark is he going to step up? When can Garrett Williams play? Those are all, those are all. And, and then the other guys that are rostered, you know, Chris Boyd is basically a special teams guy. 
And then everyone else seems to be just guys. Well, and I mean, even going back to it, what is the defense going to be run out of? I mean, we talked about it. We thought they were going to come in, go 4-3. Now it kind of feels like it's going to be a 3-4. But but it really probably might be a 4-2-5. 4-2-5, truly. <laughs> so giving it, you know, for making it basically a 4-3 because you can use Simmons in a versatile well and honestly either baker buddha or isaiah simmons can be used closer to the line of scrimmage kind of like a coverage type linebacker or a linebacker type safety so in the essence it's kind of like a four three but you're playing big nickel out of base right and that's what it feels like is is what they're looking at so and and that's the thing is, you know, they'll use Simmons as that big nickel and so then who comes off the field, right? Like yeah. how how does that work? Is it is it Lawrence and then it's Collier Watkins inside and and Sanders and Thomas outside and, and you know, so there's just so much actually fun, intriguing pieces coming to this Here, like it, it genuinely is got a question for you because this is something that surprised me uh, and i brought it up when i was on the phnx podcast the other day but as we haven't talked about it since when, in my opponent preview with with glenn irby over at the eagles wire he talked about jonathan gannon and said he and nick rollis and and i did not know this so i don't know if it's accurate or not but i trust him because he's all things equals that both rollis and gannon are and we know Mike Zimmer, but are they could are they Vic Fangio disciples? Because Irby said that. And if that's um, true, that would sort of suggest the some of the alignment. Because when he told me that, I was like, "Wait, what?" I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. What what's his history? Uh, so if you're doing the indie, the indie defense at least did, is there any sort of of Fangio influence? So so he is a Zimmer disciple for sure. Like Zimmer, we knew, but and I think. I mean, they may have crossed paths somewhere, but I don't see. And like you said, they know more than we do about that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's just I don't see it. Doesn't mean it's not on right, there. That's... Well, so here's where it might be. So, I mean, and it's, you know, it's that six degrees of separation type stuff. Let me double check, make sure I've got my wires crossed here. Don't have my wires crossed. So, well, no, that wasn't the same time. Because Fangio was in Houston when Ken Flajoli was in Carolina. So, yeah, I don't see it. But, it, again, it doesn't mean that no. it's not something. That, but That's just something random. But, yeah, so I wanted to ask you that. Okay. Uh, let's 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 move on from that. Going to the next section. Coming up on the Rise of Sea Red podcast, the best of Cardinals talk on the web. Let's move on to talk about 
Who are the players that we have potential to surprise? We know who the counters are counting on, but who might be a surprise? That's coming to next on Recipe Red. We're back on the Recipe Red podcast, the best of Cardinals talk on the web. Seth Cox and I talking about the Cardinals training camp, it's our training camp preview. We want to kind of talk about now the every year there are players who kind of stand out. I'm not talking about those back end of the Ed roster guys. We're not talking about the the undrafted rookie quarterback that we think should be the backup, like the guys we've run across, and or the or the undrafted receiver who stands out that never does anything in their career. That's fine. We'll, th- those storylines will play out. They always do. Legitimately, who are who are the guys who we think are under the radar, surprising guys? And and if I'm kind of looking at one, I kind of want to look at, you know, I I don't know if it's like someone I think is going to stand out that we don't expect to at that linebacker position. Whether it's Josh Woods, Chris Barnes, he's kind of a known commodity. But I, when no, when when they signed Barnes, like we we liked the move, but I don't think anyone would have expected that he would be in the running for the starting job. No, and I'm I'm going to tell you, I, I already talked about him, but um, you know, Owen Papo is the guy I'm. I think can, I think can play. I know he's a, a fifth rounder and yeah. things like that, but I just. I really think that, you know, just looking, and maybe I'm just projecting too much, and it's it's completely plausible, but just looking at Gannon and his defenses, and then what he's coached in his time, right? So you go, you know, obviously with the Eagles the last few years, and we talked about, uh, I believe it was what Mike Edwards and then Kaiser White, right? And then you go to the Colts, right? And, and obviously Sirianni's, or sorry, Eberflus is the is the uh, is the DC and everything there. But you go, he's I, Gannon was the linebackers coach at the time or cornerbacks coach, you know. But and so you even go then, um, and look at those linebackers. And obviously Shaq Leonard's a, a freaky guy. Uh, he was drafted early, so. Um, you know, he's not necessarily the guy, but you look at these other guys, right? You look at like the, the Anthony Walker and the Bobby uh, Okorekis, uh, these guys that are fifth rounders and, and, and late third rounders that are coming out and ending up putting up just massive numbers and becoming really good NFL players. It's kind of ingrained in their DNA. And that's the other thing that you look at and the Gannon kind of coaching disciple things, you know, and I, and I get it. He was the, he was just a, you know, an assistant coach and, and defensive quality control coach and, and things like that. But, you know, you go back, even back when he was in Tennessee um, and you see kind of the, the profile there right you see these guys that are not necessarily uh high high draft picks um that are coming out and playing really well and and leading strong defenses um and that's you know 
like you said, that's where guys kind of kind of develop their um how they decide to to uh kind of dispose or or you know go after things and and he's got a history and and he comes from lineages of where guys that are day you know mid to late day two and, and day three picks are high level contributors to their defenses um i think that's you know why i like uh and and like i said maybe i'm reading way too much into it but that's why i like him um i'm really interested to see Keytrail clark another i know it's a, a late day three guy but i think he's a guy that loves to compete yeah he um, seems to be one of those guys that will flash in in camp and even a little preseason against some of the lower end receivers that he's going to play against in the preseason but right. just be a touch short right to to crack the, the rotation probably yeah and you, that's what you wonder about um and then offensively i'm really it's kind of a cheap one but i'm really really intrigued about trey mcbride's second year right but that for me, that wouldn't be a surprise. That's a guy that I know. Like, there's a handful of guys that you know they we they, the Cardinals are counting on them to take another step. Trey McBride's one of them. They need him to be better. Cam Thomas, they're counting on him to be a starting cam, cal, caliber player. For me, those wouldn't be surprises. They're expectations I, for me. I would just be surprised because we never have good tight ends. So. <laughs> That's so true. The fact so, that like if this it, is actu- just, if it just actually happened. Zach Ertz in his 11 games in 2021 tied the franchise's single season records for receptions in a season for a tight end with 57 in 11 games. And he was pacing for between 70 and 80 last year. He'd have blown that record away blown that record away it's ridiculous it's ridiculous that that number that's there but i think yeah i think that Go one ahead, of the sorry. running backs that i i don't know what I, the guy i think has a chance to surprise is actually tyson williams that could be that that yeah, sneaky guy to do more than what's expected like people are looking at Keontae ingram i don't i don't know what to expect from him and even uh amari demarcado the undrafted rookie kid, but I think if if I'm pointing like if there's a guy who I think quietly could be much better than anyone thinks, I think Tyson Williams would be that guy. Well, and it's always hard to project, you know. Again, late round picks from other organizations, or not other organizations, but other regimes, right? Like we liked Keontae Ingram, we thought he was an intriguing guy, but like you know, and so then you have a Tyson Williams who bounced around quite a bit played a game last year obviously for the cardinals but he's shown some flashes in his in his chances uh average over five yards of carry like in recent years those those run those uh byu running backs have been sneaky kind of productive and i just think it's one of those i think it's just one of those positions because it's so obvious about James Conner that there's somebody's got to grab that wheel, right? As the main backup. Yeah, it's got to be. <laughs> and somebody has to step up because, and, and when they brought in Damian Williams, like I felt forever that they're going to bring in a veteran running back at some point. Uh, they brought in the veteran center that we all 
expected to happen at some point during the season, but they still haven't done it with the running back position. And and maybe you know, maybe they just like to see they want to give these young guys as much because like Corey Clement, he's had a little bit of production. Like he's he's rushed for you know a couple of hundred yards a couple of seasons. Um, but the other guys are completely unproven in the league. You've got one rookie and and a right. guy that's got a game, and then well, I, I guess Tyson Williams played played a few more games for for Baltimore, but didn't really do much. And then you've got Keontae, and and, and he has intriguing talent, but again, he, he was he was scouted, drafted, and coached by a completely different group, and so that you never know what you know the the fact that that they've taken that this coaching staff has taken Isaiah Simmons moved him to safety has taken David Collins and moved him to the edge, which we, we suggested maybe some teams had um, and were thinking would be his place because of his, his size. And they're doing that. So you, you wonder about what, does Keontae Ingram fit? Now, there are some people who suggest that, that he's a really good fit for their offense, but, but you know, we just didn't see much from him last year. Anybody else that you think could be a a surprise, you know, in a guy that stands out, a surprising standout in camp in the preseason. It's going to be interesting because the only other guy that is kind of interesting is a guy we mentioned earlier in Dante Stills because, I mean, it's not that, like, Leku or uh, Fotu and Lawrence are bad um, or strong or led better, but we kind of know what they are, even when healthy, right? Like Watkins, we know what he is. He's going to be a fantastic, you know, 60% snap guy for this, this defense. Collier, obviously, like you said, the expectations are pretty high for him or in terms of what they need from him. Um, but, because there's such an opening for snaps along the defensive line, doesn't it feel like a guy like Stills who has, you know, maybe not quite the the dynamic and, and um, edge that Darnell Dockett, but has a similar skill set to Darnell Dockett, um, isn't doesn't that just feel like it's ripe to to kind of yeah and get, and, get and, it would, and it would just and, it, having that happen like if you got Papo and you get Dante Sills and Keetra, it gives you some real excitement about this draft class something that you know you haven't had <laughs> we yeah. haven't we haven't had because it, it's it's just been so hard for because the way they build the roster with with veterans and stuff it's been hard for for rookies to to crack the rotation and, and I, they're just trying to build young. If there's one player I think who has the potential to be far better than, than last year, I, I, I'm intrigued and I'm, I wonder if Marco Wilson can take a big step forward. The fact that they didn't go out and make any real moves at cornerback, I think that suggests that they believe in the type of ceiling that Marco Wilson has. And with putting him in a new defensive scheme with, with a guy like Jonathan Gannon, and then you you see what he was able to do with those cornerbacks in in Philly because remember Darius Slay looked washed up for a year, 
and James Bradbury was declining. And they're both like two of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. Marco Wilson's athletic profile, he has like top cornerback in the league type potential, especially with the athleticism and the skill set. I'm I'm super intrigued to see. I I think he quietly could be a very surprising player this year. Yeah, and that's I mean, like you said, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this all works out because there's so many there's so many chances for for guys to make an impact this year, right? That that we haven't seen in the past or haven't expected in the past. So it'll be intriguing to see how how all of these guys, but you know, especially the ones that we're kind of highlighting, and and it's kind of wish casting from us at the same time because this is, you know, the first step in a, in a in this rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it. So so we realize that there's going to be you know it's it's going to be times where it's a little bit disappointing or not as much right. fun, but like that's part of the fun is to see if these guys are gonna if they're gonna take that step or or guys like like just said like if you end up getting contributions from one of papo stills or clark that's huge but can you imagine getting <laughs> two, from, like, two, two of them <laughs> right, or, right. I mean, god forbid three of them <laughs> well yeah and and you see a step up that way but and, and that doesn't mean that what we're saying guys that surprise in camp in the preseason doesn't mean that they're going to be stars of the regular season. Like we're 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 cognizantly aware of how this defense on paper looks kind of awful, and there will especially to begin the season. I will bet that this defense will have some awful struggles, um, but that as they gel within the scheme and the unit, that this will become a a competitively okay defense by midseason by the second half of this season they won't be they will they won't be great but they won't be terrible they'll be competitively all right right and that's the big thing we will end this edition that wraps up this edition of the rise up Red podcast mr cardinals talking with our training camp preview um think we'll try and do a second show this week and then kind of go on from there kind of our regular show sequences over the next several weeks um we know we still haven't done our our divisional rankings show so maybe we can throw that in this week but now we're back in podcast season there's football we'll be talking about training camp news preseason games roster cuts and all that those are coming up over the next several weeks that's seth cox i'm jess root thanks for listening as always thanks for listening to the latest edition of the rise up sea red podcast listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on apple podcasts stitcher radio Audioboom or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device. Please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show. We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise up Red Sea, be Red Sea Red, and of course, rise up Sea Red. Sea Red.